Hello, my name is Ashley Balin, and welcome to Baby Puppy, the parenting podcast for anyone raising a human or fur baby. Now, before I start getting angry emails from people in the dog community or parenting community about how different raising a dog is from a child, trust me, I know, I know, I'm not saying they're the same at all. But as a professional dog trainer and behavior consultant and a mother, there are a startling number of similarities. I've applied strategies from my dog training education and experience to parenting with great success and vice versa. From the early days with an infant or puppy, dealing with teething, crate or crib training, socialization and language acquisition, to nutrition, anxiety, coping mechanisms, independence, confidence building and more, it's impossible to deny a crossover. On each episode of this podcast, we'll explore a different topic and speak with a parenting expert to gain insight, strategies, and advice while comparing them to my experience working with dogs. Join me on this journey to raise confident, empathetic, respectful, happy, and healthy dogs and humans. Hey, 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 welcome back to season two. Thank you so much for your patience during our little summer hiatus. But as promised, we have an incredible lineup of guests confirmed that I'm really excited about, starting with today's episode. Uh, I was joined by parenting coach extraordinaire Tia Slidem. Tia is a teacher, business owner, best-selling author, and mom of two. She's the founder of Tia Slidem Parenting Solutions and the Parenting with Purpose Method, where she works with parents to teach them positive ways to decrease daily struggles and provide strategies to save time and energy so you can live a high-quality life with your kids and genuinely enjoy the moments that you have together. Our conversation focused primarily on toilet learning, including toddler readiness signs, different approaches, what to expect, and all of the similarities and differences between potty training a human and potty training a dog. Enjoy! I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk potty training too. (laughs) Yeah, it's always a great conversation. (laughs) Everyone wants to go in depth talking about poo. Yeah, we can have potty talk. I mean, that's usually not allowed, but we can have potty talk. Yeah, it's the only time it's exceptional, like acceptable to have potty talk around kids. Uh, Okay, so why don't we just start with a brief introduction, your name and what you do professionally. Yeah, my name is Tia Slidem, and I'm the owner and founder of Tia Slidem Parenting Solutions and the Parenting with Purpose Method. Um, And I am a parenting coach who have worked with kids and families for over 16 years. I am a mama to two boys myself. Hudson is 11 and my baby Beckett just turned nine. Um, so everything that I help parents with, I have lived and eat and breathed and shit myself. So um, basically, I'm going because It sounds like you've been doing this for 16 years. So that means you were a parenting coach prior to having children. I have been working with kids and families actually okay. for over 16 years. So I initially started my path. I was a kindergarten teacher in the States with my master's in early early ed. And I worked for years uh, being a kindergarten teacher, had kids of my own. And in that process of having kids with, of my own, I became fascinated on um, ways that parents, w- parents were responding to their kids and reacting to their kids and yelling. And I was like taking it all in. And I ended up getting my certification in positive discipline. And I've been working with parents for over, uh, over 11 years now. It's, it really is so fascinating. Obviously, my journey has been very different because I work with dogs. I don't, I don't work with kids. But, uh, you know, I also initially went into dog behavior and like canine psychology because of the way that I was experiencing pet owners, you know, treat mm-hmm. their dogs. And when I got my own dog, I went on this like really intensive, you know, deep dive into, you know, all of the different ways of disciplining and learning theory. And uh, then I started coaching, you know, other dog owners. And now through my experience with parenthood, I've shifted even a little bit more and now run a program called Pups and Tots, which is all about 
you know, how to get kids involved in training dogs at a young age in order to build empathy and resilience and, you know, communication with animals. It's amazing. It is amazing how everything really comes full circle and training dogs is not much different than training kids. Well, that's the entire <laughs> premise of this podcast. And we're, we're going on to episode 11 now. And I've spoken to, you know, people that work in all different aspects of uh, parenting and, you know, child development. And it is like startling how many similarities there are, mm-hmm. not, not just in terms of, of, you know, discipline, obviously, but in terms of of you know, learning approach and you know, crate or crib or sleep training or uh, you know, nutritional things and picky eating and you know, going through different stages of development and adolescence. And it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah, it very much parallels one another. Exactly. But yeah, so as a parenting coach, I'm, I know that you help guide parents and provide advice in numerous areas. But as we said at the, the top of this conversation, I do want to focus on toilet learning. Yeah. So obviously teaching a child to go on a potty is very different than teaching a puppy or an adult (laughs) rescue dog to go outside. But it seems from my experience that it's like a really contentious topic that often creates a lot of stress within households either way. Uh, Yeah. Um, So, you know, before we go into all the different methods, I wanted to start with just basic terminology. You know, toilet or potty training used to be the commonly used term. And recently I've been hearing parents use the expression toilet learning a lot. And I guess I was curious to know if they're just different words for the same thing and it's semantics or if they actually imply different approaches. It's pretty much different words and what sounds PC and what doesn't and sleep teaching, sleep training, you know, it's all, it's all basically around the same thing that we need our kids to go on the potty. And that's basically all we need to focus on. So you want to phrase it, but you're exactly right. It brings potty training brings up a lot of anxiety and fear in parents, largely because We are so invested emotionally that our kids need to pee and poo on the potty. They need to. They can't start school without it. They have to do it. They won't listen to me. They won't won't even sit on it. And we emotionally get so invested in the success of them going potty um, that we create extra anxiety and fear and extra power struggles when in theory, going potty is simply another developmental milestone like learning to crawl, walk, or talk. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, I definitely want to get into readiness signs. I think that's something that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess I wanted to start with, you know, again, limited knowledge when it comes to, you know, any sort of child rearing other than my own child. Uh, but, you know, I've, there are a couple different approaches that seem to be more trendy or more commonly used to potty training. So the ones that I hear talked about most often are, you know, child-led training, um, parent-led training, this three-day method that is aligned, I guess, with that oh crap book that's very popular. Yeah. And um, elimination communication. Are there are those the like the most common approaches? Are there thing are there certain ones that I'm missing? No, you know what? I think what it comes down to is that again, the terminology, they're all taking you to the same end goal. It's right. more or less what feels good to you as a parent. So what's going to allow you to follow through the most and what's going to allow you to stick to the plan so that you can get the job done. Um, what happens is, is that they come up with all these new phases and new methods. And it's, it's really all just the same thing that's been tweaked and turned. Nobody's reinvented the wheel. Um, you're just you're just following a simple plan. And for me, I use it like a six stage plan, um, which is, you know, more or less, probably some or a little bit of each and every method that's been created. Um, And you just have to do what works for you. So when it comes to a method, I wouldn't stress about what method you do, I would do what feels right to you. So what's what's included in your six stage plan? Yeah, so what I always want to do with everything with with parenting and parents and kids is I want things to feel good to you so that you'll follow through. One of the biggest things that we struggle with as parents is setting boundaries. And without boundaries, our kids are left pushing and pushing and pushing until you set them. So kids are born with two predetermined jobs to please you and push boundaries. And they're going to push them until they're found. So if you um, don't have clear boundaries, whether it's around potty training or sleep or meal times or how they get out of the house or get dressed in the morning, 
they're going to continue to push and push and push and push because that's what they're born to do until you set them. So what I want the, everything parents to implement, I want it to feel good so that you can follow through so that you can create those boundaries. So the same thing goes with, with potty training. I want it to be a feel good approach where you have a plan because without an action plan, we're all lost. So you are going to foundationally build their confidence and your confidence at the same time so that you basically take stepping stones until you get to the place that you want to be. So you start off small and it builds and it builds and it builds. So for example, stage one, you you want your kids to pee and poop at the same time. We're not like with sleep training. Sometimes, you know, you want to just do naps or you just do bedtime. With potty training, you do both. You're not separating the two. So stage one, you start off really simple and they're just bare naked running around like crazy people. And you want them to pee or poo naked on the little potties or the regular potty, whatever they're comfortable with. And that's your only job for one to two days. Now, if it takes you longer, doesn't matter. The point is they sit down, they pee, they poop, they're naked, and you're seeing success right away. So that's basically stage one. And then you build on it and you move to stage two. And now you're going to wear clothes without underwear so that you don't get that subconscious feeling that you're wearing a diaper. So underwear can feel like a diaper and naturally you have more accidents until the body has been trained that you don't have a diaper on. If you think about it, kids are wearing diapers basically 100% of their life and then all of a sudden we're saying no diaper. So we need to help them with that. And so you put on pants where they have to learn sequencing, pulling down, sitting down, pulling back up without the interference of underwear making their body feel like a diaper is being worn. Any questions on stage one or stage two? No, it seems pretty clear to me so far. And I, I what I love about this is that you sound <laughs> exactly like I do when I'm talking to my own clients about training their dogs to go to the other <laughs> It's pretty straightforward. We just got to have an action plan and you need to stick to it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, well, that's exactly what it is, is that I find that, you know, most people in any industry, they, you know, might understand on an intellectual level what the best approach is to various situations, but they feel that without a clear cut action plan you know, that's provided to them by an expert that they don't have the confidence to follow through. So anytime that they see any minor regressions, they assume it's because their their plan is unsuccessful as opposed to the fact that they just, you know, need to make sure they follow through. A hundred percent. And self-doubt and guilt and fear comes into play. Exactly. And if you have a really clear plan and somebody that you can have your questions answered by, it builds that confidence to follow through because really all it is, is following the plan. Like that's it. That's all you've got to do. Keep your emotions checked at the door, follow the plan and you're golden. So Right. So you're creating this action plan and, you know, I don't want you to have to go through all six stages if you don't want to, because I know this is, this is your business too. <laughs> um, but, and I, and I want people to contact you if they need help. I don't want you to give away all of your, you know, magic over this podcast, but so someone there's the parents have their action plan. They've read it over a hundred times. They're confident, but I assume that there's a piece involved where the kids themselves need to be ready to start this process as well. Correct. It, it's the, probably the most important piece. So I would say, and I say to all my clients, what you do proactively ahead of the game is so much more important than what you do in the moment. So preparing your child, making sure they're ready, making sure you're ready. Have you blocked off your calendar? Um, is your child developmentally ready? And so I would like parents to think about these like red flags that they need to have in order to start potty training. So I want your kids to be interested in the potty. So if your child is not interested in the potty, they're not interested when you go, they're not kind of asking questions, they don't want to attempt flushing, they're not trying to peek in the potty while you're going poo and you're like, get out of here, this is awkward, you are in my space. If they're not doing those things, they're not really ready because they're not really connecting the dots at that point. Um, another red flag is that they need to be able to um, ask for a drink of water or food. That shows that they've got body awareness and going potty is 100% body awareness. You have to be able to have the sensation and then take the next step from step A to B and actually execute. And so when you're thirsty and you ask for water, you are executing that 
you're body aware and you need to solve that problem. Um, and so that's the second one. And then the third one is we want to think about sequencing and order. So going potty is actually a really big developmental you know, milestone and the fact that they're sequencing multiple things. Like for us, we just think, gosh, you go in there and you pull your pants and you go potty, you wash your hands and you're done. But really you have to have body awareness and then you've got to get to the potty and you've got to pull everything down and get yourself situated and then wipe if you need to, and then get everything back up and then wash your hands and then dry them. And I mean, it's, it's a lot of sequencing for kids who are used to young kids, who toddlers who are typically potty training, who are used to like single step instructions. And now they've got a multi-step situation that we're asking them to conquer multiple times a day. So we want to be sure that they have sequencing to some degree. So I like to say that parent, can your child sing a song from start to finish? Um, can they maybe count to 10? Are they showing you that they understand some form of sequencing and order? So are you expecting a child to be able to go through that entire sequence on their own or because I guess what I'm, I'm trying to understand, I mean, I know some adults that don't have that level of executive function. Yeah, most of them don't wash their hands, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. That sounds very complicated for a lot of people. But from like a toddler, like my, my son's not three, but he's, you know, he's fully toilet trained. We had nothing to do with it. Fully child led. He decided one day he didn't want to wear diapers anymore and he never had an accident. Like it was awesome. you know, one yeah. of those ideal situations, but you know, he still tr- struggles depending on what he's wearing to like take his pants on and off. He still needs help sometimes to like, you know, pull up a stool to wash his hands. So you know, he can't do those things on his own, but he was still able to recognize the body awareness to know he had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So he needs support. And I would say in the beginning, when you're potty training, your toddler's not going to go in and just magically be a little old person doing all these things. Right. Um, but that's why you have those stepping stone stages so that you practice. And even once they're fully potty trained, they're going to have accidents, whether it's nighttime or daytime. Um, accidents don't mean that they're not ready to be potty trained. It just means we're learning. The, like that's, that's okay. As long as we keep our emotions out of it and we're not angry by accidents, accidents, we're not blaming them or giving them shame or pain because of accidents. Usually they have a a random accident from time to time and that's enough learning in itself. But as soon as you are upset with them or show your disappointment or you are frustrated with them, now it creates anxiety and worry around accidents and now you see more accidents. Right. Yes. It's the same as potty of house training a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, so is there, I know that obviously every child, you know, develops at a, at a different speed, except is there a typical age that you normally recommend starting to think about toilet training? You know what? I would say between 20 and 30 months is kind of like the golden, the golden window. Um, but you've got wiggle room on either side because some kids are just curious and they're, and sometimes, and I don't think it's always girls more than boys. I know sometimes the stereotype is that girls potty train easier. Um, I had two boys and they both potty trained very easily. So I I think it's more about, um, setting up your child for success, making it, um, easy for them to access, supporting them, guiding them. And if at 20 months or 15 months, your child is curious and having dry diapers and wanting to take off their diaper to go potty and, then fine. I don't think there's a right or wrong. Um, but 20 to 30 months kind of seems to be the the secret window. And if you go too far uh, and you're getting closer to the three-year mark, um, sometimes kids want to keep their diapers as like a security blanket. And now it's them being fearful of the potty. When is if you did it a little bit earlier, you kind of avoid that fear altogether. Yeah, no, it's interesting because obviously every person you talk to has, you know, a different piece of advice and a different, different, different experience. But the the story that I hear a lot from parents, not from, you know, experts that work with children, is that they've been, you know, advised from friends or family that if you start too early, then the process could take, you know, months or even a couple of years. But if you wait till the right moment, then it's just a matter of days. Yeah, so that's those readiness signs. And that's, you know, really making sure you can clearly check those boxes. You know, are they kind of saying to you, I'm dirty, change my diaper, it's not comfortable? Are they trying to go somewhere private to make their poo in their diaper because they don't want people looking at them anymore? You know, are they interested? Are they asking for food and water? Are they sequencing? You know, once you can be like, yes, check, 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 
you're, it's time, it's go time. You need to, you need to get going on that. Um, if you wait too long, you can get into trouble. And if you do it too early and you can't check those boxes, you're almost kind of wasting time and energy uh, because they're not quite ready yet. Yeah. I, I find the whole, you know, concept of readiness signs just fascinating, especially coming from like a dog behavior perspective, because this is the, the key difference that I've found between, you know, human babies and puppies is that, you know, puppies are obviously not encouraged to wear diapers at any stage of their lives. So it's typically the very first thing that families tackle when they bring a new dog home uh-huh. is they're, they're not taking, you know, relationship building or communication or you know, any of the other things that are obviously integral to having a strong foundation into consideration because they, they're not considering a dog's readiness sign when it comes to potty training because it's just unnatural for, for a dog to be living within a home to begin with. You yeah, you just, you just potty train. You have a dog, yeah. you potty train. Yeah. Right. And it's the first thing you do when you bring a puppy home because it's absolutely unacceptable from the human's perspective to have an animal that is, you know, peeing or pooing on their floor or having to clean their carpets or furniture every day. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the approach to teaching your dog the appropriate place to go to the bathroom, it's actually, I guess, more similar to an elimination communication sort of situation where you're constantly looking for signs that your dog's giving you that are very subtle and then taking them outside at those moments. Yeah. You're, you're Um, kind of watching for those signs, which I, you, which I would suggest you do for your child as well. And when you're in phase one and they're running around naked, you're not just letting them choose to go. You're prompting, you're looking for them holding themselves or dancing, or they're about to sit on the floor and you help them. Like you're there with them like on point a hundred percent, you know, like a new puppy or they're getting wiggly while you're holding them or they're, you're going in circles. You, they're anxious. Usually they need to go out and same thing with your child. You've got to really prompt them and be on point during those beginning days. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, the one advantage I guess with having a puppy is that there are certain things that are just deeply ingrained, like survival instincts that do help when it comes to potty training. Like the, the oversimplified idea is that your dog doesn't want to go to the bathroom in the same location that they sleep because in nature they don't want to identify where they live to other animals or other packs of dogs. Uh So that's why you see a lot of people use things like crates or play pens or keep them on leash when they're puppies because if they're in close proximity to their sleep location, then they'll intentionally get up and move to another location when they have to go to the bathroom and then that's your signal to take them outside. Right. But I guess, you know, it's very different with children because they don't have that sort of, you know, ingrained instinct to not go in their bed or to not go, you know, in the car seat or to not go yeah, in, the, in none the of that environmental bed. awareness. They're just little blobs waiting for you to change them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how so how does elimination communication work then? Because you hear, like I hear all the time about people that have like infants, like literal, like six months old, that they they look for certain signs and they go on the toilet and they've never introduced diapers to begin with. I know people do that. And you know, I'm not, I have not studied that method over and over because that wouldn't be a method I would, I would recommend. It's just not under my umbrella. Um, But I have read about that and, and, and seen that, but that's, I mean, you've got it. You're going to have to be on your child from the very, very, very beginning, not like nonstop. And I don't think most, most parents live like that. Like we're busy. Our society yeah. today's age is so busy and mo- mo- lots of times both parents are working and there's multiple kids and you're trying to cook and clean. And it's almost next to impossible to be watching your child start to wiggle or move or, and get them over a potty. So for me, I haven't studied that. So I, and that's not something that I would recommend my clients use, but if that is something that people are interested in, I'm, there's tons of information out there. It's, it, that's just not, that doesn't float my boat necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I don't know that much about it either. I just find it really interesting because, you know, I know that my son at six months old had absolutely no body awareness whatsoever. And I, I definitely was not in tune with him enough to know when he was going to pee or when he was going to, you know, have any sort of release. Yeah, at all. not at all. It's the same thing with like people that train their infants to swim and they just throw them in the water in the beginning and they naturally swim. I mean, I, I don't think I could ever do that to my kids, but it, it can be done and infants do that. So it's sort of, I guess, different parenting strokes for different folks. And, and that's just another method if that's something that's of interest to, to certain parents. 
Yeah. So we, we, we touched on it for a second, but I was going to say, you know, I know that with both dogs and kids that, you know, routine is obviously really beneficial. And if kids can, you know, anticipate when they're going to, you know, eat meals and when they're going to have naps and when they're going to be taken to the potty and they are on some sort of schedule that it allows them to kind of, you know, anticipate the times they're going to be, um, you know, permitted to eliminate. Yeah. Um, but like outside of the routine and a schedule and those types of specified times, as we had just mentioned that some signs you might look for in a puppy are that they're like circling or whimpering or looking for a place to hide or trying to access another room. Are there like common signs that you see in toddlers besides the kind of squirminess? You know what? There's not a lot. Sometimes kids will grab themselves and hold and dance and it's very obvious they need to go to the bathroom. The problem most of the time is they don't want to go. So here's the thing about parenting and kids. Everything they want to do is really cool and fun. And everything we want our kids to do sucks and is lame. I mean, if you think about it, we want them to brush their teeth and go to bed and eat and go potty and wash their hands, like lame, 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 lame. And so they don't want to do it. So oftentimes they're just dancing and dancing and they need to go potty. And we think, just go potty. Like, then you can go back to your Lego or you can go back to your show, but they don't want to go because it's so lame and their, their activity is so amazing. And so that's what you normally end up getting into the power struggles over because you know, your child needs to go. They know they need to go, but you can't force them. And I totally relate to that. Like, I feel like I'm still that stubborn and I'm in my late thirties. Oh, I, I will bake a whole batch of cookies start to finish knowing I need to pee first. Exactly. And then I'm, I've had two kids and I probably need a diaper myself. And then yeah. I'm thinking, why didn't I pee before I make the cookies? Why am I suffering? But exactly. I, I have like, I'll get sucked into a movie and like 20 minutes into the movie, I realize I have to go to the bathroom and I could pause it and go to the bathroom, but no, I wait two hours and I'm just uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. And I got to sit on my heel and I got to like try and hold it in. I know. Right. And I actually have some sort of, you know, self-awareness and impulse control that a toddler does not have. Exactly. So some of it's human nature, but, but what we want to do is we want to remember as parents, we can't force our kids to eat, sleep or potty. And as they get older, you can't force them to do homework. There's just physically no way. And so what we want to do as parents is encourage them to cooperate. We want to encourage them to use the potty. How can we encourage them to feel good about it and give them power and make them feel in control? And that's where I often recommend that with your routine, you set in those times to go potty so that it's part of the routine and the routine is the boss and not mom or dad forcing you to go. Um, And that way they feel more in control. Um, I also think you should try and make it a little bit fun. Like I'm not a rewards person. I don't think you need to be rewarded because you released your pee or poo or rewarded because you got good grades. We want intrinsic value. We want our kids to feel good about their accomplishments because they just feel good. But I do think you need to make it fun for toddlers. So a basket of books by the potty and you know, engage with them, sit with them, read with them, talk with them. They might pee and not even realize they peed because they're engaged with you. Um, I often recommend to parents to choose like a little plastic bin, like the size of a shoebox, and fill it with like pom-poms or sequins and, you know, rubber animals, and then put something extra special in there and ask them to try and find it, like a scavenger hunt. We want our kids to sit on the potty, encourage them to sit on the potty. So we need to make it a little bit exciting for them. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's really interesting. That's great advice. Because one of the questions I was going to ask you about was what your thoughts on rewards were. So I guess that kind of answers them. But you're still rewarding your, in, in, in what you just described, you're rewarding them in the sense that the experience of going to the potty is rewarding because it's entertaining and fun. They're just not getting like a specific treat or toy as like a gift at the end of having eliminated Yeah. So you, you have to think age and stage and development. And when you're two or three years old, playing and doing other things is more fun than being on the potty. And so if you want them to go there and they're sitting in a dark room by themselves, they're not going to sit there. So we want them to know that we're there to guide and support and teach. And and that's in everything I do. I'm 
positive discipline parenting approach where you are your child's guide, teacher, trainer. They are to support them along the way, not overpower them or control them just because you're bigger and you think you can. And so we have to think about their age and stage and how can we guide and support them and making it a little bit fun so that they're encouraged to sit there for longer is just your way of meeting them at their age and stage. So maybe you like to they like to hold a timer and they sit there on the potty and t- for a full minute. And when the timer buzzes, they get to get off. And then when they come back, they get to set their own timer again. And now it feels really big boy or big girl because they set their own timer and they're in charge of it. And when the timer goes off, they get to get up because the timer said so, not mom or dad. So giving them more control, giving them more power. Um, so we're not rewarding in the sense that it's just more that you're supporting in the moment based on their age and stage. When we reward after, like, oh, you can have a candy if you go potty or you can have a, you know, go to the ice cream store. What happens with rewards, whether you're a toddler, a tween or a teen, the novelty wears off. The ante always has to go up and they never feel good about the things they're doing. They only are searching for the next best reward, which never feels fills that void. It never, ever fills it. And as adults, they're always looking for happiness in places that can't be found. And we want our kids to feel really good about the hard work they put in with their grades, about going potty independently, about being able to wash their own hands or take their dish to the counter, make their own bed, all these things build confidence, capability, and give them a true sense of accomplishment. They don't need a reward to do that. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because again, you know, that's one of the other key differences between, you know, children and dogs is that when you follow a, you know, positive reinforcement force-free training approach with dogs, it is very rewards based. Mm-hmm. Because dogs think in like a very black and white way and whether you're going through obedience or manners or confidence building or anxiety elimination, the idea is that you're you know, matching the, the desired either emotion or action with something that is highly motivating to them so that they are, so that they have a reason to continue to perform that action over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, but, but what does cross over that's interesting that you were just saying is Sometimes I have clients call me and say, you know, what's what what's the right treat that I should be giving in these situations? Or, you know, what brand should I be purchasing? And it has absolutely nothing to do with the item itself. It has to do with being able to read your dog and know them well enough to know what it is that's motivating to them. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for, for some dogs that could be food, but for other dogs, it could be affection or it could be play or it could be, uh, you know, a toy or it could be going for a walk. Like there, there's so many different things that motivate animals and, and children. And it's about being able to recognize what's going to motivate them to, you know, kind of follow the path you're hoping they'll go down. Yeah. And with kids and, and, you know, on a deeper level and, and with dogs, the same, I bet you it's exactly the same. You're probably going to say it's parallel. But kids need three things daily. They need to be nurtured, they need consistency, and they need you to believe in them. And when we give rewards, we we often take away that that sense of capability um, and that sense of us believing that they're capable of doing it on their own. And so we want to just really focus on the fact that we're going to help with our consistency. We're going to believe that they're we're, we're confident that they can do it. We're going to guide and we're support and we're going to nurture. And when you nurture and they go potty and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, and you cheer and you potty dance. That's really what's exciting. More than anything, your kids want to feel connected to you and that's their ultimate goal. So whether they're tantruming, crying, refusing to poop, refusing to pee because they're looking for power, it's they're really struggling to build their connection with you. All they want to do is be connected with you and that's their uber focus day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it is interesting because again, you know, children and, you know, humans are obviously far more complex in a lot of ways than, than than dogs are. But, you know, the, the thing that is similar is that it's, you know, I'm I'm telling clients always that there's a big difference between a well-trained dog and, you know, a confident, well-mannered dog, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like a a well-trained dog is one that will follow direction when it's asked to do something. And, you know, a confident, well-mannered, balanced dog, is one that knows what to do in every situation without having to be guided. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's a very, you know, again, like an oversimplified version of what it is that you're 
talking about in, in every aspect is that we don't where we want to raise kids that are able to be confident and make you know independent choices on their own based on the guidance and foundation you've provided for them throughout their lives as opposed to just being able to follow direction when you ask them to do something <laughs> yeah so so basically we want to raise independent confident kids that are able to manage when we're not around that are able to make decisions that matter to them and that affect them in a positive way. And if we're always there, you know, telling them what to do and forcing them to follow these rules and do this because I said so, sure, they might follow your rules, but what happens when they go out in the real world and they don't have those skills to make decisions and understand the consequences that they might have on themselves? So with kids starting as early as toddlers, you want to offer lots of choice and you want to give them lots of abilities, um, chances and opportunities, excuse me, to make decisions because every choice you give is a chance to make a decision and every decision they make is a learning opportunity do they like or not like the decision they met they made so something as simple as do you want chocolate or vanilla ice cream and they take chocolate and then two seconds later you're walking down the street and they have a tantrum because they wish they had vanilla well they learned in that moment that I make a choice and I have to live with it. Now, if you go back and bail them out because you don't want to see them upset or it's not that big of a deal to spend three extra dollars on, you know, the vanilla one or the chocolate one, you've taught them nothing except for that if they cry and whine and complain, they get whatever they want. And now their life skills are really being robbed from them. Yeah. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I unfortunately see that often mm-hmm. because I, you know, it's not like the the access that I have to parents is any more or less than the average person. But, you know, within my sort of friends and family and social circle and my, my kids, you know, friends, parents, I often see that it it's so hard for the parents or caregivers involved to see their children sad or uncomfortable, that they're always just looking for immediate solutions in order to eliminate the discomfort. Yeah. So, yeah, so it ends up, as you were just describing, leading to the child in that moment being satisfied and happy because they got the thing that they were complaining about. But the pattern continues. And as they get older, those, you know, those I guess, complaints and problems that they're looking to be solved constantly get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, yeah, and it's, it ends up creating, you know, children that are, you know, don't have any resilience and are unable to problem solve and don't have that executive function and don't know, you know, how to deal with failure, disappointment or rejection. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's 100%. really different. Yeah, it's kind of, I call that either band aid or patchwork parenting, where you're just putting a solution, a band aid on top really quickly so you can stop sweating and being embarrassed by the tantrum and make it go away. But then what we've done is we've taught our kids cry harder, louder, longer, and you're going to get what you want. And then unfortunately, it goes deeper than that. And it goes to the fact that you don't have any boundaries. They don't trust you. You say one thing, you don't follow through. And they have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing because that's their predetermined job. So you're actually decreasing your bond, decreasing your connection, and making life so much harder for you and yourself versus setting it up and teaching those learning opportunities in the moment. Yeah, there's, uh, it's in dog training, and it might actually be similar in in human psychology as well. I'm not sure. There's a concept called uh, an extinction burst. Are you familiar with that? So, you know, the idea is that, you know, that dogs learn how to get your attention in, in various different ways, and whether it's because they're, you know, barking constantly, or they're whining, or they're jumping on you, or they've, they've learned whatever it is that always gets your attention, whether it's positive or negative. And, you know, we all try harder at something we know works when it stops working. So like, for example, if I gave you a $20 bill, every time you clapped your hands together, you'd clap constantly. But if I suddenly stopped handing you money, even though you were still clapping, you'd clap more and you'd clap louder and you might even get closer to me and make sure I was noticing that you were clapping and you might even shout at me, Hey, I'm clapping over here. Yeah. But you know, but if I didn't respond at all in any way, you would stop clapping entirely forever. But if while you were getting louder and louder and louder and louder, that last try, that last like loud, frequent clapping, if I gave you $20 in that moment, then what you would learn is that you could like continue to be louder and more obnoxious and eventually you'd get what you wanted. But if I never ended up giving in in that one experience, then 
you would cease entirely and that moment is called an extinction burst. Yeah. And so that that is exactly the same exact method when I'm talking to parents about helping them avoid their kids getting in and out of bed and coming to their bed or tantruming about stuff is that you have to not give negative attention because every every ounce of attention that you give when they're doing something negative is telling them and messaging to, to them and signaling to them, do it. You should do it because it totally works. And kids will only do what works for them. And usually it's because we've taught them to do things we don't want them to do, but we don't know how to break the cycle. And that's what I help parents with. Right. And if every time they they put in that extra effort or they try a little bit harder, if you give in, then it'll just take longer and longer and longer for the behavior to to extinguish. Exactly. And I call that kind of living in the gray zone. So parents will say to me all the time, well, my child's amazing at school. They're like angels. They teacher says they're leaders and they follow along and it's unbelievable. But then at home, they're like, they're a terror. I can't even handle them. It's awful. I don't even know how it's the same person. And that's because at home, we're often really, really gray where we don't have those clear boundaries and we do give in and they cry at the park to stay five minutes longer. And you say, oh, who cares? What's five extra minutes? Or they they want cookies after dinner, even though you've said that you're not giving them cookies. But that's a whole nother conversation because I don't use dessert ever as a reward for dinner. But if that's something you do in your house, then you, you give in when they cry. You go really gray. And when you're really gray, they have to keep pushing. But at school... Like shit's black and white. I mean, there's charts on the wall and a timing contract of where you go, when you come back, when you're having snack, where you wash your hands, the lineup, you've got arrows on the floor. I mean, it's like left, right, and center organization, structure, and routine. And the boundaries are clear. You're in the black and white zone. And at home in the gray zone, it's that's where parents get stuck in this like dreaded life of parenting where they love their kids, but they don't want to be around them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and there are, you know, some people that would argue that the reason that kids, you know, behave differently at school versus at home is that at home they feel a lot more safe to be able to express their emotions and at school they feel that they need to restrain themselves the entire day. Yeah, and to some degree you want your kids to feel comfortable opening up at home, but but negative behaviors, disrespect, refusing to cooperate, not listening, needing reminders, you having to raise your voice before they finally do something. That's not because they're letting out what they had held in at school. Um, If they come home and they're like an emotional wreck and they just are on overdrive, well, yeah, maybe they need a little help, you know, lowering the water amount in their pitcher. Maybe they're feeling like they're overwhelmed and it's been too much stimulation and too much and they need a moment and you can use strategies to help them recoup when they come home and recharge their battery. Um, But if it's negative behaviors, it's not, and it's repetitive and it's happening every day, all the time at home, that's a red flag that there's a solution that can make life easier for you and your kids. Okay. Before you go, there's something, there's something fun I like to do with my guests. Um, I'd love to read you an email that I received from one of my dog training clients seeking advice about their dog. And I'd love for you to respond as if it was a parent asking you for guidance about their kid. Okay. Okay. So here's the email. Hi, Ashley. So Onyx is following the house training schedule perfectly. He hasn't made a mistake in the house for a couple months. He goes pee on command every time we take him to a spot outside, and he's starting to know when it's time to go out based on the activities that we're doing both with or without him throughout the course of the day. The issue we're having is that now he's already six months old, and he's still waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, or even worse, some nights we don't hear him, and he pees in his crate and looks so upset when we get him in the morning. What can we do to help him through the night without having to go to the bathroom? So let's assume that Janet is the parent of a four-year-old and her child has been fully toilet trained for quite a while, but she still has to wake her parents up in the middle of the night every night to go to the bathroom or she ends up wetting her bed. What would you recommend? Okay, so I would recommend that you know your child better than anyone. And if they still need you to go with them in the middle of the night and they're little, I don't think there's anything wrong with 
as long as they go right back to bed and it's not an issue. Um, if they're waking up and having accidents, that would be a red flag that we want to look at decreasing liquids for two to three hours ahead of bedtime. So I would want you to decrease the liquids um, two to three hours before bedtime. And then when you go to bed, I might wake your, your daughter or son up and take them potty without communication, without stimulation, just wake them up, take them potty and take them back to bed and see if you can break that cycle or that habit. Okay. So that's actually the exact same response that I gave. <laughs> I mean, basically, like, so like from a dog training perspective, I was going to say, like, I'd recommend that they cut off access to water a couple hours before going to bed for the night. Yeah. Unless, like, of course, there's some sort of medical problem that requires they need constant access to water. Um, you know, I'd also ensure that the dog is taken for a short walk before bed. So they always have a chance to eliminate like yeah. right before they're put into their bed for the night. And also maybe providing them with like a little bit of extra, you know, exercise right before bed, just to ensure that they're tired. I know for kids that might not always work because it could stimulate them before they go to bed. Uh, but usually after a few days of just going to the bathroom right before they go to bed and having restricted access to water, it, it completely yeah. solves the problem. But if not, as you said, I would set a timer for, you know, either halfway through the night or before you go to bed and take the dog out to pee and then immediately put them back into their bed or into their crate. And then as the nights go on, you can set that timer for later and later and later until you know, until you've made it through the entire night, which usually only takes a couple weeks because again, it becomes a learned behavior that if the dog recognizes that every time they wake up in the middle of the night and they tell you that they have to go to the bathroom, that you're like up and communicating with them and engaging and going outside. But, you know, as you just described, if you wake them up and you take them out and you're not having a conversation and there's no true engagement, then it becomes boring and they just end up sleeping through the night. A hundred percent. So what you're telling me is that when I'm ready to grow my team, which I I'm considering at some point you could be one of my parenting coaches because you've got it all figured out through dogs. It sounds it sounds like mammals might have a lot in common, especially ones that were, you know. The, the interesting thing about dogs is that they're the only animal on the planet, other than humans, of course, that were domesticated, like domestic from day one, right? Yeah. So they are the only creature that is bred to please people. So a lot of it, it's it's really difficult, even through all the science and research, to know whether all of these similarities are because we've they've actually picked up on human traits intrinsically throughout the last several thousand years, or if we chose them because of the similarities to begin with. It is fascinating, huh? Yeah, it's really interesting because there are so many similarities from, you know, like, again, from sleep training to potty training to teething to like all these different things. The approach is really like almost 90% similar in, in every single situation. Yeah, so, it's, so when you have a client that you're stuck on, you can call me for help and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's true. And I always say that I love, I prefer having the dog training clients that have kids because they already get it. Yeah, so true. So it's, you can, you can create analogies that have to do with certain situations that they might've encountered with their children, and then they can transfer that knowledge to their dogs. And it's a lot easier to understand. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it makes total sense. It's amazing. It's fascinating. This was a, an awesome learning opportunity. I loved being here. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed talking to you and I hope that we'll be able to, to keep in touch and ask each other for advice in yeah, <laughs> different scenarios. Of course, I, I have a newfound partner. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So I guess just on that that last thing for a second. So the the one like little caveat is that when you, you know, when dogs go to the bathroom, they have to go outside. Children do not have to go outside. Thankfully, they can just go into the bathroom. So with, you know, a dog owner, when it's the middle of the winter and it's minus 30 outside and they live on the 20th floor of a condo and it's three o'clock in the morning, it's a lot more difficult to accommodate that dog than it is to accommodate a child that needs to go to the bathroom. Yeah. But, but if you are someone that needs like that seven or eight hours of straight sleep and it actually affects your day the next day, if your street, if your sleep is constantly interrupted, is there some sort of solution? Like, could you inter reintroduce a pull up overnight until your kid's waking up dry in the morning? Like, are, are there things you can do to ensure that you're getting restful slum 
like sleep as well? Yeah. So the nighttime sleep is almost like a, a beast of its own. And it really has to do with like your subconscious talking to your conscious. And that is a real developmental thing. So some kids will literally wet their pull up till they're five. And it doesn't have, they don't have any dry nights, even with decreased liquids. They're just not able to connect those two where other kids will be two and, you know, five out of seven nights, they've got a dry diaper and they're kind of starting to have that talking between the conscious and subconscious. And so if your child is waking up wet most of the time, but during the day, they're like fully potty trained and at night they're just wet a lot of times or you're having tons of accidents or they're waking up two or three times at night then I would say maybe they're not quite ready for the nighttime training yet. And that's okay. I would just give it a little bit more time. Um, I don't want parents using a pull-up as a crutch um, to never kind of focus there. I mean, over time, kids typically do sort out nighttime on their own, even if they're wearing a pull-up. But it can sometimes be prolonged longer. And then that can can cause you know confidence issues for kids. I know my niece was like almost six and she was still wearing a pull up and wet. And I said to my sister, you got to kind of work with her because that's embarrassing for her when a friend spends the night, like we've got to kind of work with her. So you don't want it to go so long that it's a crutch. But if you're having a lot of wet nights, I would say they just might not be ready yet. Okay. So there's, there's nothing wrong with having taken away the diapers and then reintroducing them. If you feel your kids just not making that connection internally yet. Yeah. I would say you're not getting rid of the nighttime pull up or the diaper even to begin with. If every night you're coming in in the morning and it's wet, like if it's wet every day, they're not quite ready yet. If you start noticing that it's a dry a few nights, take some notes, start like making a log. I always say to parents, making a log is really key because we can't remember anything like where our keys are or what we put on our grocery list when we wrote it two minutes ago. So you're not going to remember which nights your kids were dry. So write it down, start looking for patterns, look for increases, and then that'll build you some confidence so that you kind of know when you feel like it might be the right time to give it a try. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Where, where can people find you? Yeah. So my website is Um, And I also have a really cool free guide to help you connect with your kids to kind of fill up power and attention buckets and decrease some of those um, unwanted behaviors, which is um, tiaslitem.click backslash guide. Um, and so if you want to throw those up for people, they can download that guide instantly. And it's a really fun way to connect with your kids again. Um, and my website, um, they can email me. Um, they can find me on Instagram, which is at Tia Parenting Coach. Um, and I've got a Facebook group, Simple Parenting Solutions with Tia Slightum that they can join. And I do lives and videos and coaching and all kinds of stuff on my Instagram and in my Facebook group. Awesome. I'll include all the links in the in the notes for the podcast. Too. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure being here. I'm so it was a great I loved it. I loved chatting with you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to add a dog to your family? For a limited time only, listeners of Baby Puppy will receive 10% off our unique mutt-making package. Let us help you find the right breed, energy level, and temperament for your household based on your experience, expectations, routine, and personality. We always say there's no such thing as the perfect dog, but there is definitely a perfect dog for you. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, child or dog related, email info at meetyourmutt.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at meetyourmutt or visit the website at www.meetyourmutt.com. Remember, this podcast is just a baby or puppy. And as they say, it takes a village. So please rate and review. Happy parenting. Baby Puppy is hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Ashley Balin, production assistance by Koji Nagata, and theme song by Pink Distortion Music. Thank you.